We're going to read and continue on in the Gospel of John. And we're in chapter 7, where Jesus heads up to the feast and eventually stands up in the middle of the crowds and makes his proclamation. Like, I am the Son of God. If anyone comes to me, of living water come out of him. But it's wrapped up in this great, I guess, journey. You see Jesus before, during, and after. And it's all about timing. It's all about taking a stand. And I was thinking about ourselves. Like taking a stand in today's day feels like a pretty common practice. People are taking stands, making stands on all sorts of things. You know, take a stand politically. Take a, a stand for what you believe. Uh, take a stand on masks or vaccines. Take a stand on uh, injustices. There's lots of things that people take stands on. And I think that can be great. But I want to learn from Jesus how he went about it. So that when we make our stands, we're actually doing it in a way that is going to turn people to God. And I was thinking that the two like, easy traps that we could fall into, we could think that taking a stand is just complaining to our friends or complaining on Facebook. Like if we just say it. But you're not really taking a stand on something if you just talk to friends of yours about it. Right? That's maybe complaining, that's maybe verbalizing, but a stand has to have some action wrapped up in it. And it can't just be within a circle of friends if it's going to impact more than that circle of friends. So I thought, all right, well, let's think about the audience that Jesus talked to when he picked his moments to take his stand. Uh, but also, like, the importance of what we take stands on. In our, in our circle of friends, and this might offend some, I know, because there's so many different types of stances on this, but I don't apologize for that. I just ask you to think about it with me. In our conversations with our friends, are we taking as strong stances on Jesus as we are on vaccines? Like, which one do we stand up for more in the things that we say? And I feel like because vaccines and masks are so current, it's like just right now we're in it and it impacts our jobs and our families and our health. It's very relevant. And I think we should have stances on this. We're going to talk about this, the how. Um, but we're willing to get very like excited in conversation to stand up for the thing that we think is important. Do we do the same thing for Jesus? Do we get really excited in conversation and stand up for him when someone says something else? Do we advocate for him? Do we show why he's the best way, that he's the thing? It becomes personal sometimes for us in a way that's beautiful, but like <laughs> closed from the world. And Jesus put himself out there and he took a stand. You know, if I were to stand up in the middle of a crowded place and say, I am springs of living water. Come drink from me and you will have eternal life. My name is Dave. Give me a call. Let's talk. Like, I don't do I get locked up? I definitely get laughed off the stage. But that's exactly what Jesus did. That's, that's exactly what he did. In a group of people that didn't believe in him, he took a stand. But he picked his moments, too. And so I think it would do well for us to think as we read through this and think about the things we take stands. Are they important? Are they eternal? And even if they're temporary, things that are happening in this life, in this world, Jesus clearly cared about that stuff. The widows, the orphans, injustice, like he cared about that. But it was always with an eye for, well, what does God say about this? What does God believe? Why, how much does God love you so that these injustices are just so wrong in his eyes? Right? That's a different take than just against because it's not good. So I think picking our stances, basing them on Christ, thinking about our audience, thinking about what sort of action that we're going to implement, not just words, and um, the importance 
It's almost like Prowse, right? You're like picking the right amount of stance on the right topic at the right time with the right people with the right follow-through. And Jesus, obviously, because he's pretty amazing, he just does all those things a beautiful way. And so I'd like to just read chapter 7 of the Gospel of John and see how he did it, see whom he chose to not talk to, who he did choose to talk to, when he chose, all that kind of stuff. So it's a little bit of a long reading, but I, I love just reading whole chunks of his uh, story. And this is essentially, you know, a day or two right within, uh, three days actually, within his life. Let's read it together. John 7. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee, traveling around teaching and healing. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him there. Now the Jews' feast of booths, this is a harvest feast, it's in October, we could ask Hal for more information, I'm sure he could give us a, a very insider's perspective on the feast of booths. This was the timing. Verse 3, so his brothers, Jesus' brothers, said to him, leave here and go to Judea, <clears throat> so that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. And Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come. Your time is always here. The world can't hate you. But it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. So you go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not fully come. And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. And we'll stop right there. So the first vignette is Jesus talking to his brothers. This is one of those verses we go to to, to say, um, did Jesus have brothers and sisters? I know within the Catholic Church, there is this teaching that Jesus was the only son of Mary. And that when it talks about brothers and sisters, it's kind of like a general term of followers and friends. But here... The brothers being spoken about divide themselves from his followers and it talks about a family relationship. Have any of you tried to like convince family members of something? Like that's really difficult to do. Have any of you ever had family members that just kind of like tease you and mock you because they've known you for when you're little? I got a hand going up in the back. Okay, so at least one honest person here. We know this, right? Well, what if you started telling your siblings that you were the son of God and that if they believed in you, they could have eternal life? Like, that would raise the mockery up at least two or three notches from teasing you based on what you wore or your hairstyle as a kid, right? And this is what Jesus is experiencing. But he doesn't, like, begrudge them that. He just recognizes, like, you can't see me for who I am. And that's okay. It's not my time. You belong in this world. Now, one ray of hope for Jesus' brothers is the book of James in the New Testament. It says it was written by Jesus' brother, James. So at least one brother was like, no, I get it. But all the others, they were too familiar. So Jesus just left them there. He's like, I've said enough, and you know me enough. You can find me anytime. We're related. But I've actually come to reach these people. So he waited. They went up to the feast. And you see in the end of 7 there, verse 7, it said, I've come to testify about the world that its works are evil. Like, this is a world filled with evil. And so when Jesus steps in and he's like, this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is wrong, these are evils against people and against creation and against God. Like, no one's going to like him for upsetting the status quo. That's what he did. He spoke out against the things that were wrong. So taking a stand, yeah. So all Jesus did is stand up against the things of the world that were wrong. But he compared the world with God, and he brought God's truth into it, as we'll see. So, verse 10. So he waits. And then it says, After his brothers had gone up to the feast, he also went up. Not publicly, but in private. 
The Jews were looking for him at the feast, saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, he's a good man. And others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he began teaching. He knew this was the moment. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but it's his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? And the crowd answered, you have a demon. Um, Who is seeking to kill you? And Jesus answered them, I did one deed. This was uh, healing the man um, who then had to speak in front of the the Jews and and say who healed him. I did one deed, one miracle among you, and you marvel at it all. Moses gave you circumcision, not really from Moses, but from the fathers and from God. And so you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If one man... If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made one man's whole body well? He healed someone. So don't judge by appearances, but judge with a right judgment. Some of the people in Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, but they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. And so Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me. You know where I come from? I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I have come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him. But no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. And they said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Then the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. And then Jesus said to them, I will be with you just a little bit longer. And then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go into the dispersion among the Greeks to teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you'll seek me, will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? Then on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I'm going to read that again. This is the stand that Jesus takes. Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So if anyone thirsts, this should remind you of the Beatitudes. Everyone who is thirsty or hungry for righteousness, blessed they will be because they will be satisfied. He is standing saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Drink in my words, drink in my teaching, drink in my healing. Be with me. Verse 39, these rivers of living water, John describes what that means. Now he said this about the Spirit, 
whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Holy Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Glorified means died, crucified, buried, raised, glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said the Christ comes from the offspring of David? It comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was. So there was division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. So the officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said, Why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, No one has ever spoken like this man. And the Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? This crowd that does not know the law, they are accursed. Now Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see. No prophet arises from Galilee. So instead of looking at someone's miracles, they're saying, Well, when we read the scriptures, no one can come from this town, so it could not be. Instead of saying, look at that someone was healed, they say, well, you can't do that on Sunday. We need to uphold our traditions. And Jesus confronted them all. Do you remember in Ecclesiastes 3, it says there's a time and a season for every matter under heaven. I was reminded of one of those times. Solomon wrote, there's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. I was reminded of Mark 8 that says, Jesus says, If anyone will come after me, let, him de- let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses my life, loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his life? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. When is the time to speak up? And when we speak up, are we speaking up? Turn to Jesus. I was in a conversation earlier this week where someone was, uh, just someone kind of getting to know in town, um, was just talking about the state of the world and was very passionately angry about the condition of so many of the things that are wrong. And I see his point. He's just making great points. But the end of his, you know, venting on this didn't bring him to any better place. He was probably more angry at the end of sharing with me than he was when he started. And so in that moment, I was just thinking, like, I, what does Jesus have to say about this? Where is the hope that he could find in this conversation? Because just to admit that this is a sinful and evil and wicked generation doesn't actually get us anywhere. We have to be able to stand up. But if I just say, oh, I think there's always hope. Well, then that's a me statement. That's like someone speaking by their own authority. So you're actually seeking credit for yourself. The person who speaks on behalf of God is giving God credit. And so in that conversation, I was there with one other person. We were at the Dunkin' Donuts trying to meet on our own and then ended up in this great conversation with someone else. And I um, wanted to say, well, this is, this is what Jesus came to do. He came to save. Jesus came to, if we don't have any problems, we don't need to be saved. 
That Greek word is sozo in the New Testament. It can mean to save someone, to rescue them. It can mean to deliver someone. It can mean to support or sustain someone. It can mean to heal someone or make them whole. This word sozo is what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to save. And so when we're in all these conversations with people that are so hopeless, we need to bring Jesus into those conversations and say, yes, but Jesus saves. This situation is just a mess. You are right. What does Jesus have to say about it? As Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, when he stood up, he says, all right, Father, Son, Spirit, I'm taking a stand for living water because you all need it because you're all thirsty. And we're in a world that is just dry and parched and angry and sad and hopeless. But if we just stand up for values, as if we're trying to advocate for like objective virtues, hope is a good principle to have. It's not actually going to change anyone's life. It has to be hope that God is bigger than this world. Hope that Jesus delivers. And so I love how Jesus knew his audience I love how when he stands up, he, he's healing on his own. But when he takes his stand, it isn't about the social injustices. It's about the bigger eternal question behind it all. We need living water. We need God's healing. Otherwise, the world's just going to stay in the same condition that it is. And if we spend all of our time focusing on the temporary things without pointing people to eternal things, then we're missing the boat. We're missing the boat. I know a lot of our conversations about masks and vaccines have to do with health, right? We're trying to be healthy. What, what keeps us healthy? What makes us healthy? Those, sorts of, those are good. But even if you pick the best route with the best approaches uh, and keep each other healthy, it's only for a short time. You die anyway. We're all just going to die anyway. But maybe if we take the right approaches, we could live longer, but then die anyway. It's a temporary problem, which even if we use our best medicine and our best distancing and our best everything, which I say, go for it, great. But we're still only keeping ourselves alive a little bit longer. So how can we say Jesus can save while we're trying to say in this world, we need to talk about this problem? How can our stances be Jesus. Would you ever consider in a conversation about masks and vaccines saying, I, I think I personally taken this approach. I think this is wise. I think this is safe. But you know, it is just the body and eventually it goes in the ground. I'm more concerned about where my soul goes forever. What about that as a follow-up to a vaccine argument or a mask you know, debate within family members? It's harder to go there. But it's the actual conversation that might have a chance of doing something. Because I tell you what, with people that have the peace of God in their hearts, they're more able to take the ups and downs of this crazy world. So we might be spinning our wheels trying to make life better for them now without giving them the thing that's actually just going to make life better now. So Jesus knew the important things to take stances on. And it was action, right? He healed people. And then he had a conversation about it. Sometimes we like to talk a lot about all the things we're going to do to help people and then never quite get around to it. <laughs> Jesus, in private, just went and did the will of God. And then he stood up and said, this is from God. And he gave God all the glory, just like we're seeking to do.
I want to bring this together. I thought of a couple of examples. Let's say that you, you notice some form of discrimination going on at work or in, in neighbors or in society or, or something where people are not being treated equally. It would be a good thing to stand up against that. But it would be a better thing to say, I think that's wrong because God sees everyone as equal. Mm. You just made it a God thing. You made it a Jesus thing. Because Jesus treated everyone equally. Same stance. But because, you take a stand for Jesus. Take the stand. Because we can also just be all talk and we don't want that. But take it because of and give the because. How about you're being asked to do something unethical at work? Lie on something or, or cheat in some way or sign something that you know you're not supposed to. You say, well, I don't think that's right because Jesus calls his people to be perfect the same way God's perfect. Like all of a sudden, you're not just basing your opinion. Now, it's not an opinion versus opinion. They have this stance. They, have this, they hold these morals. You're holding yourself to a higher standard. And you brought God right into work. Because Jesus. Take a stand because Jesus. You know, with the, the masks and the, and the vaccines, you could take a stand against them because Jesus heals. So you're not worried about getting sick. Or you could take a stance for them because the Bible says submit to those in authority over you. So it's not like every Christian has to have the same stance, but you need to do what you do because of Jesus, and you need to say it. Jesus did not just go around secretly healing people. He then stood up on the great day of the feast, and he's like, it's me. I'm owning it publicly. This is the time. Right? So if we can put some of those things together, we'll find that we are taking stands, and we're giving God glory. We're helping with the eternal peace instead of just wasting time on the things that are only going to go so far and are good but are temporary. And if we find that we're people of action and follow through, we'll be just like Christ. We'll be following his example. So these sermons that we, we go through here are not meant to be just teaching. They're meant to be apprenticeship. So I need us to think about this and think about what we're going to do with this. And maybe as Devin and I come up and lead us in a closing song now in a minute after I pray, you can just take a minute to think, what are you actually going to do with this? What stances will you take this week? And if there are stances that you're already passionate about, homelessness, so like the list goes on, right? How can you take a stance because of Christ? How can you bring Jesus into it so that he can enter into that conversation for some eternal value? This is who we're supposed to be as Christians. This is who he stood up against the evils of his day because the gospel for God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for us, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Sozo, that we'd be delivered, healed, and saved. So I will pray, we'll take a moment just to consider what we're going to do with this this week, and come up with a plan. And then we can talk next week and see how the plan went. But let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being bold. Thank you for knowing the right moments. Thank you for not pulling any punches. Thank you for standing up for what matters. Thank you for advocating on behalf of the Father. Thank you for showing people the Father's love physically. Thank you for being a person of words and deeds. Thank you for giving us your spirit that we could continue all these things. Please save us again this week. Save us from the evils of this world and give us a mission to save others using your name, your words, your power, all for your glory. May your kingdom grow and eternity grow. People in eternity with you expand and increase 
as we fight for the stances in this temporary short life that you've given us. Help us to be both now and for eternity. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.